counted among the outlaws. He said, come, follow me. People from all walks of life since have been becoming outlaws. You may have seen in your social media feeds uh, lately some pretty crazy claims uh, about something going on by scientists in Geneva, Switzerland. Elon Musk, he's even called it demon technology, that we're summoning the demon, meaning we could be experimenting with science and technology to a degree that we could open up something that uh, who knows if we can control it. For instance, some claim with the experiments being run, we could accidentally open a black hole sucking the entire planet and universe into it. Others claim uh, they could be opening portals into other dimensions and literally opening a portal to hell, allowing demons to enter our realm. I almost called this episode Highway to Hell because of that. But come on, people. Uh, demons are a biblical concept. If you believe in scripture, you believe in demons and they're already roaming the world. So anywho, why, why do I have so many episodes on science? Some have asked thought you focused on profound questions of faith. Well, faith, science, and philosophy, when discussed and pursued, they fully shouldn't and really cannot be separated. Modern culture has attempted this divide, making them three distinct areas. Yet all ask the same questions, don't they? You know, how did we get here? Why are we here? And where are we going? Pursuing these answers in any of these areas will quickly overlap into the other. They can't remain divided at some point. And in the past, they weren't. It seems to be kind of a, a modern way of analyzing the world is to set these into different camps. But a holistic view puts them together. Scripture itself explains that we learn of God through his written word, sure, and through the physical world we live in. Romans says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, the physical world. We have Bible study after Bible study to learn about God, but sometimes ignore science or even hostile to it. So anyways, back to the scientists doing uh, experiments in Geneva. CERN, the European Organization for Nuclear Research, for years have been colliding anatomic particles at high speeds underground in Switzerland to unlock the mysteries of the origin of the universe essentially trying to reproduce the moments of the Big Bang, the explosion of particles that burst the universe into motion. One of scientists' greatest discoveries was announced on July 4th, uh, 2012, of the Higgs boson particle, uh, soon after to be known as the God particle. What is the God particle? How was it discovered? What else is CERN searching for and why? Are there any validity to these crazy conspiracies and the fears uh, of such explorations? And does this research lead us to a deeper knowledge of God? And if so, uh, how? To help us with these questions is Dr. Andrew Pinsent. He is a research director of the Ian Ramsey Center for Science and Religion of the Faculty of Theology and Religion at the University of Oxford in England. And uh, Dr. and Father Pinsent, was actually a particle physicist on the Delphi experiment at CERN. He has degrees in philosophy and theology and a second doctorate in philosophy. There it is. It's a perfect combo. If you're gonna get educated, there's faith, science, and philosophy. Welcome, sir. Hello, hello to all the listeners. Good to be here. I appreciate it. I, I don't know who, 
I don't know who I'm else I can have. A, I'm speaking from a slightly rainy, cold Oxford in England. So greetings, United States. Yeah. I'm speaking from a chilly, snowy northern Michigan. Well, Midwest Michigan. Yeah, what technology? Speaking of technology, we got used to it. Just We're talking across the world, recording yep. at the same time. It's nuts. Anyway, let's get to this. Uh, the Higgs boson or the God particle, what is it and, what, and why does it matter? Okay, so let me just start with that phrase, God particle. Um, and I have to uh, shatter some illusions, perhaps, because this was uh, actually used to sell books. So there's a book by Leon Letterman, a very famous physicist. And the publisher said, don't write about a book. You have a boring physics title. Give it, call it the God particle. And um, <clears throat> people that so it made the book very famous. And um, people have caught on. So if you go to Amazon today and look up God particle, find lots of books, uh, all with the same kind of title. Um, but actually, it's not directly to do with God, uh, although arguably, arguably, it may be a Catholic God particle because it gives things mass. So it gives things. <laughs> so that's right. Um, uh, so that's the only joke I know in particle physics. But um, uh, it's it's the theology is is not the direct issue of the particle. The particle is like the missing piece of a puzzle, and uh, there's something called the standard model in particle physics. It's been active. Uh, it's been the 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 account of material reality um, that's been the, uh, more or less accepted by particle physicists the last half century. But there was a piece missing. Uh, the theory predicted that was a particle that was missing. And we discovered it, we think, in 2012. Uh, it's called the Higgs boson. Uh, and known as a God particle, but not directly to do with God. Although, of course, I think indirectly, of course, is to do with God. So the particle itself, how does it affect me as a person? How does it affect the universe, our everyday lives? What is it doing? Why, why did we need okay. to discover this? Okay. I have to, again, I'm sorry, break an illusion. It doesn't have any direct effect on our daily lives. But uh, something we invented along the way of looking for the Higgs boson has changed all our lives. I bet every single one of your listeners today has already used this technology. And it's called the World Wide Web. So anyone who uses the internet, um, if, you, if you look at the web address, you see there are three letters, www, the World Wide Web. And that started at CERN when I was working there, the late 1980s, early 1990s. And we used um, a kind of protocols worked out in the United States by a group, a group called DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research, uh, something agency, I can't remember what it's called. But um, we started connecting together physics documents, um, linking them together with, with hypertext. Now, anyone who's a young child at this, uh, in this uh, era will be so familiar with this, it's like breathing. You pick information out of the air, you click on a document, you go to another document, click on a document, go to another document. But this all started, and it started at CERN in the late 1980s, early 1990s. And it caught the whole world by surprise, because we started by collecting physics documents. And then people caught on outside CERN. They started adding other documents, adding other documents. And it, it grew and grew. 
And in almost no time, it seems, the whole world was linked to this thing called the World Wide Web. Hmm. I remember two years after I was at CERN, I was in the south of Brazil in a, in a state called Santa Catarina. And there was a, I saw a restaurant with a website address. I was amazed. I thought, this has got everywhere in almost no time, in the blink of an eye. And so the whole world's connected today. So if you ask me, how does the exposure affect our lives? Directly, not at all. Indirectly, in every possible way. Yeah. So what is, how do they find the particles? Why are we looking for particles? Okay, okay. So it's, it's an ancient quest. What is the world made of? So in theology, we studied the, the, what, we, what is Re Revelation tells us about the creator and the redeemer of the world. But in the, um, uh, in the world of particle physics, the question is, what is the world made of? What is the most basic stuff the world's made of? And um, it's, not an, it's, not a difficult, it's not an easy quest because you break things into smaller and smaller pieces uh, it's harder and harder to see what's there. It's harder and harder to make sense of what we see. Um, but um, the only way we know of doing this is to is to basically to hit things very hard. We hit things very hard, and we see what happens. That's basically it. So one way of thinking about this: imagine you've got a piano, and you throw it down a flight of stairs. So you've got a piano, and you throw it down a flight of stairs, and listen to the sound it makes when it hits the bottom of the stairs. Smash, smash, smash. Now take another piano and do the same thing. Same piano, but it's another version of the same piano, and you throw it down a flight of stairs. And hit, maybe you hear a different sound. Take another piano, do the same thing. Throw it down the side of stairs. And and each time you hear the cacophony of sounds, um, and the, it's different because the way the piano hit the ground was different each time. Maybe different kinds of strings were pulled or smashed or whatever. And uh, but but if you could do this many thousands or even millions of times with pianos, um, you might be able to reconstruct what the piano was like before you smashed it. Uh, make a model of what the piano was like before you smashed it. And this is so. Um, this is how we do particle physics. We, we can't directly see the interior of the atom. But what we do is we smash matter as hard as we can, and we get a cacophony. As it's uh, like, like that, that, that noise of particles coming away. And by careful... A study of what is generated over millions and millions of collisions, we can we can build up a picture of what the interior of the atom is like before we smash it. Um, that's basically how particle physics works: is about hitting things as hard as possible and seeing what happens. How is to the layperson's mind, you think, I, I want to understand the universe. And we think yep. of the universe as, uh, you know, we see stars and yep. suns and planets. But then you're talking about, we want to understand that by examining uh, quantum physics. Like, you're going to go as yes. small as you possibly can right. yeah. to explain the biggest things 
that are. Why, why is that? Or how is that? How do we yeah. learn what the big things are by this going minute? Well, all kinds of ways, because a lot of things we see in, in everyday life start with the very small. So uh, even the even the um, electronic communication signals under the Atlantic Ocean are transmitting your image to me and my image to you. They're transmitted through waves of um, uh, light and electromagnetism through 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 fiber optic cables under the ocean. Uh, so very tiny things affect our lives. Uh, so the very small and the very big are often linked together. In addition, um, the modern theory of cosmology is that the universe starts in a very hot, dense state. It's called the Big Bang, as you mentioned it, in fact, in your introduction. And here's a question for your listeners, and perhaps for yourself, Ken. Uh, who invented the Big Bang Theory? Do you know who invented the Big Bang Theory? I can't do a name, but I think you might be semi-impressed that I do believe it was a Catholic priest. That's right. Yes, it's Father Lemaitre. Almost no one knows that. Um, it was a Catholic priest. Well done. Uh, it's a Catholic <laughs> priest in Belgium, so not, not, a, not a particularly uh, so prominent country in terms of big personalities, but uh, this uh, priest was also a physicist and mathematician in, in Belgium, and he used Einstein's equations, and he made a, a remarkable prediction. He said the universe is expanding, and he gave a way of testing it. He said that light will be stretched over long distances, and galaxies would re be receding from us, even today. We're in the aftermath of an explosion, and even today, the galaxies are moving away from us. And he gave a way of testing this, and a famous American astronomer um, called Wilson, uh, he did the measurements in uh, the early, sorry, about 1929, 1930, uh, the, what's called the Mount Wilson Observatory in California. And, um, and he found it was true. The universe is expanding. So Big Bang Theory. Now, if the, if the Big Bang Theory is even partly accurate, then the whole cosmos starts... Smaller than a grapefruit, smaller than a pebble, smaller than a grain of sand. And so the very small and the very big are linked together. And today, astronomers look at the structures of not just galaxies, but great filaments of collections of galaxies. It's a kind of cosmic web of galaxies. But we think it start, this, this web starts with tiny, tiny little fluctuations in the initial Big Bang. So the big and the small are linked in our everyday lives today, but also in the entirety of the cosmos. I think you see the patterns in creation everywhere. Listening to you talk, taking it as something I can understand would be, uh, I'm a full-grown adult, but if you take me back, I was smaller and I was smaller. I yes. was an infant. I was a fetus. fetus. I was down to some yeah, cells. That's right. That's right, so you exactly. work your way backwards and you deconstruct the origins of the bigger thing that develops. Yes, yes we, we, we all start as one cell. Right. Every human being starts as one cell. Isn't that amazing? It is. Uh, so here's, I had this question for you, but it's hard for me to, I don't know enough about the science to put it in the in the correct words. So when you're talking about, you're talking about the internet, I think about the hoax, the, uh, excuse me, the, um, what do you call the God particle? What's the real name? So the, the Higgs boson. The Higgs boson, thank yeah. you. 
So I don't want to get too technical in this program, but the Higgs or the is it the Higgs field caught my attention and a little bit of study where mag well fields in general I wanted to talk to you a little bit about meaning right um, meaning they're this is kind of what I meant by how does it affect our lives and that are these things flowing through us at all time there are particles that make up the universe yeah. they just make okay. up matter and that the particle they found is a part of a field that they thought there was a particle in it but what are these fields um, right uh, that's a nice question and uh, I think I think physicists are a bit guilty of making things complicated so here's so um, but there's a kind of general rule which is that anything that's a field pretty much can also be represented as a particle so oh. it goes back to the early 20 you mentioned quantum mechanics earlier today uh, earlier in this um, session and um, it starts with the study of light and light behaves like a wave, like a field, but it can also sometimes behave like a particle. We all we call it the photon. It's a, it's a, it's a particle of light. But, but, but this, so, so light is very strange. It's both has wave-like behavior, um, that, then we call it a field, and it has particle-like behavior, then we call it a particle. Uh, and that's the same with the Higgs boson. The Higgs boson is a particle, uh, in in a certain sense, but it's also a field which permeates the whole of space. Yes, we can't detect it normally. It's a very hard thing to detect, but it's what it's something that's detected under the extreme conditions we were able to create at CERN over, over the last decade. Let me give you another example of a field. So um, it's gravity. Gravity is, of course, we're very familiar with gravity, and just in the last few years, there's been an amazing experiment in the United States. So both at two ends of the United States, um, separated a very long distance apart, there's something called a gravitational wave detector at both ends of this long baseline in the United States. And for the first time in the whole of human history, we've detected gravitational waves. So gravity is more like a very constant, it's like a very constant force pulling us to the Earth and putting things together in the cosmos. But it also can be a wave carrying information. And uh, we've we wanted for decades to discover gravitational waves. And in the last few years, uh, they permeate the whole of space, but they're incredibly hard to detect. And just in the last few years, in the United States, we've had the first successful gravitational wave detection. So, And, it, and it's great because it, it transmits information to us from really exotic events. So maybe two black holes collide or a black hole and you saw collide in a distant galaxy thousands thousands of millions of light years away and we can detect it on earth with this massive shock goes through the cosmos and we can now detect those shocks through tiny changes in gravitational waves so uh it's an exciting time i don't okay so this thought this won't even be a question I'm going to start a topic, see if you can finish the thought for me. And you're ne unique Please. to do it because of physicist and um, and a faith expert. Is So when I think of things like you're talking about uh, gravitational waves or even just microwaves or the waves that carry broadcast yes. signals yeah. that are flowing yeah. at all the times, I don't understand how information is on a wave and it's 
permeating everything. Yes. But, but yet scientists are at least comfortable with it, understand it better than I do, but uncomfortable yeah. with the thought that there's a God that could be everywhere at all time. Richard yeah. Dawkins says it's wishful thinking. It doesn't make sense. But yet the science version makes sense to them when to me it's not that different. If you had a, if we can believe that there's a, and we know it's true, a wave that is carrying television, audio and visual signals at all times, it just doesn't have personality or emotion or thought. It's just information. What? It's not that far of a stretch to think there could be, I don't want to call God a wave, but something that is has intelligence that behaves the same way that carries information on behalf of somebody else, let's say, if you're talking like a trinity, oh, right. and can permeate everything at all times and communicate with those who are willing to get into that signal. Yes. But it has intelligence. That's lovely. Um, well, I, I'd also say that the Bible has certain privileged we call Michael privileged images of God or privileged metaphors of God. So, for example, God is a consuming fire, that's very, or God is a rock. But another one, which is in the first letter of John, if I recall correctly, is God is light. God is light. So, light is, is repays some careful reflection because it's a, it's a privileged metaphor for God. And the ancient Greeks knew this actually before, even before Christianity as well. In a in a certainly more restricted sense. So um, yes, it carries almost all information comes to us through light. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. So if you th the skeptics' view of God would be like, well, it's like Santa Claus. Can he really be at all places, almost simultaneous in one evening? And do it's impossible. Yes, it's very hard to think about that, but, it's... but when you when you think of when you think, and and then you must have like, you know, reindeer that have the same abilities. Yes. They're almost yes. all places at one time. But when you think about well, broadcast signal or whatever this is, Wi-Fi. I'm talking to you. You're in England right now. We're right, talking yes, live right. by right. informational signals. But what if that signal just had intelligence? Where well, there's God? That's the Holy Spirit right there. I, I, I'd be careful with my description. I, I would call it a, a a privileged image of God. Yeah. And you have to you have to use multiple images to to get closer to truth. Um, but certainly it is a it is a privileged image of God to refer to light. And light has remember I talked about light being a particle and a wave, so it has particularity and concreteness like a particle, but it also permeates everything like a wave. So. Yeah. We don't even have to think of theology. We can think of we can think of the things we discovered in science for the last century or so to give us some similar kinds of ways of thinking about things. So the natural world trains us, if you like, to think about these kinds of realities. I jotted down there on my head. I jotted them down scriptures that I thought when I was kind of prepping for this or listening to lectures and, and whatever. Some of them sounded like scriptures. We're talking like you're talking about waves that permeate everything. Some yes. of the science things yeah, sound yeah. like scripture yes, that say, yes. in him we live, move, and have our being. Yes, yes. And, and here's another one we refer to. I talked about the Big Bang earlier. Now, if you, if you said to people 100 years ago, 
the whole universe exposed out of a point in a burst of light, people, people more scientifically trained people would have said you're crazy. But but the old theologians would have said, I know that. I've heard that yeah. before, actually. And in fact, it, the Big Bang Theory is much more popular among Christian thinkers than among atheists for about 30 years. Hmm. And there's a very funny, there's a few funny things people don't really know about this. So um, I mentioned the theory was invented by a priest. And the Pope of the time, Pope Pius the uh, Ninth, I think, sorry, 11th, apologies, 11th, uh, no, Pius Twelfth. my apologies, he said he was very keen on the Big Bang Theory, perhaps almost too keen. So, so Father Lemaitre said, uh, just, just be a bit more cautious. Um, but he was enthusiastic. But the theory was condemned in the Soviet Union. And in fact, there's a famous meeting of astronomers in 1948 in Leningrad. It's, it's called St. Petersburg today. It was then called Leningrad after Lenin. And they said, we must oppose the Big Bang Theory because it is encouraging the priests. We must oppose the Big Bang Theory. It is encouraging the priests. And the materialists of the Soviet Union did not like cosmology. They, uh, they be At least they didn't like it until the 60s. Um, because if if matter is your god, then you can't conceive of a creation of matter. You can't conceive of the creation of the cosmos, uh, or, or that the whole cosmos was so different once upon a time. So um, uh, it, it's, it's not true that Big Bang isn't isn't re directly about creation, but it is about the evolution of the cosmos, and that's and that is incredible. And it's, it was a massive cultural shock. Uh, and it was the Christians who were much more enthusiastic about it than the atheists. Now the atheists have got used to it, and now they claim it's all it's it's an atheist theory. It's all about you know right. it's our theory. They're very good at taking over our stuff. Um, right. Even if they think God is dead, they say, "Can we have his things?" That's the next always the next line. Can we have his things? Right? Yeah. So they, as... Sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The first time I heard the Big Bang Theory, I thought, "Oh, there you go. It lines up with Scripture. God spoke, and yeah. things started blowing That's... into existence." You are right, Ken. That's a natural way of thinking. And you think, that's awesome. Well, I've heard that before. Yeah. Um, but uh, And the initial reaction across the world was very similar. So it was the, it was the theists, or many theists, who were very keen on it. Um, and it was the atheists who were terrified. They were actually terrified. In Britain, we had a, a whole group of atheists who created a theory called steady state cosmology. But its, its real purpose was to undermine the Big Bang, to try to find a different way of thinking about it. And they were intelligent people. They came up with some good ideas. But th that theory died. It's not, it's not the way we think about cosmology today. So explain how you view this scripture in light of your understanding. It's, it's kind of part B of a scripture, but he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Um, this is an area I, I confess I'm not so um, theologically trained in. So uh, you've got me on a slightly uh, yeah, sorry. awkward point where I probably can't um, advise <laughs> you as carefully as some people would. Um, but certainly, well, two things remember, two things to bear in mind. First, God does make the whole of creation possible. No, he doesn't just create things. He also sustains the world. That's the first thing. But I would also say on top of that, that God, 
there's a phrase from there's a famous theologian called Thomas Aquinas, and he said, um, "God has given His creatures the dignity of being causes. God has given His creatures the dignity of being causes." Now, what that means is, the cosmos is not like a machine; it's more like a garden. So think about a gardener. A gardener looks after the garden and plants plants. But a gardener does not gives the makes it possible to have the plant growth. But the plants do grow themselves, you know. So there is in the work of a gardener there is the, the prime cause, the gardener, and there are all these secondary causes in the the principles of growth of the plants. And I, I don't think it's any accident that the Genesis uses the image of the garden for creation. Um, and that is a healthy way of thinking. I think it's in line with a lot of what we're now discovering about the world, which we didn't know even 100 years ago. Um, so God, God, God sustains creation, but God has also given his creatures the dignity of being causes in creation. So we, we have the potential to be fruitful and we can also mess things up as you know yeah. the story of genesis they, they mess things up sadly oh, yeah, that's another matter so yeah it's a seed principle like a garden everything's a yes. seed it grows yeah. over time with the right nurturing and the right elements let me ask you this it, it, it's hype it's it's guessing i guess educated guess but when scientists are dividing molecules and dividing and dividing and going as small as they can to find the origin or even find the if i'm correct in understanding what we haven't really found is what holds it all together and i don't know if that's where dark matter comes in or is there like an energy or the life of things like that gives life to the seed that then life grows do you think there's a scientific answer for everything do you think at some point there's just an energy or something holding like with a verse i read where God may have spoke things to get it going and it's all a seed and growing, or there's an element of divine power at the core of it all that holds all things together in that he can also revoke it at times when he creates a new world kind of thing. Like once he withholds back his essence, that matter ultimately is on a foundation of some kind of divine energy. Right. Uh, I would say that um, certainly is true in in, in, revel in terms of revelation. God sustains everything. That's certainly true. I'd also say it's true scientifically that there are certain things that bind other things together. I mentioned gravity earlier, uh, but you've got lots of waves permeating all of creation. We talked about a few of them already. Uh, gravity is one example. Uh, light is another example. Um, the Higgs boson is another example. The Higgs field. If you like. So, so you've got lots of things sort of binding things together in creation. And that's that's incredibly important. It's not just chaos. Mm -hmm. uh, it has a, a kind of unity. But it's a unity that enables freedom. And that's... Um, there, is, there is spontaneity in the garden. There is... Um, uh, and, and we, as participators in in God's action in the world, we can also do things. We can contribute to that growth, or we can rip it up. You know, there are things we can do to be involved in that process. So, so yes, I, I agree with agree with all this. And I think this is a is a kind of consonance between 
what theology teaches and science teaches without making them exactly the same thing. They're not exactly the same thing. But it's a bit like light. Light is an image of God. That's actually used in the Bible. It doesn't mean it is, it does not to say it is God, but mm -hmm. it is a privileged image of the God. It's, it's privileged because it is in Scripture. Uh, and, and so you've got to pay, pay careful attention to these images. Before we wrap up here, I did allude to, in my little monologue, you know, the conspiracy theories of going back to the uh, CERN and the experiments. So just yeah. in a high summary, what I didn't mention was specifics, like what they're doing underground. Could you just give a quick overview of um, the Hydron, Hydron Collider? Uh, you did talk <laughs> about smashing particles. That's right, yeah. but, but if these... Are these concerns real concerns or concerns based okay, on um, non-education of what's going on? Okay, so, so there are two questions here. What goes on the Hadron Collider and is there, is there any danger? So let me, the first thing about what goes on the Hadron Collider is basically a big microscope, that's all. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning of our discussion, we have to hit things as hard as possible. Get as much energy into as small a space as possible. And the way we do it is pretty amazing. We, we, we collide matter and antimatter at nearly the speed of light. Um, so it's like two cars colliding head-on. Now multiply that almost infinitely, and you get what we do. So we hit things head-on. Uh, that's just a matter of getting as much energy as possible into a tiny volume of space. Um, so that's what we do at CERN to study the world. Is there any danger? I'd say no. And the reason is that nature is much more powerful than we are. So every day, the Earth's atmosphere is hit by particles that are much, much more powerful than anything human beings can create at CERN. So the universe, uh, we've got lots of stars burning over the cosmos, and gently, they, they gently and steadily burn. Every now and again, something really catastrophic happens, like a star explodes, or two black holes collide, and suddenly you get pulses of energy and every now and again a high energy f a particle hits the earth's atmosphere much much more powerful than anything human beings can create and uh, we, and we're still here after billions of years so i don't think there's any danger of anything that cern can do because we're amateurs in the energy business compared to when what I, the cosmos can do all the conspiracy theories i heard they didn't concern me but just hearing well the big bang is from little particles that collided and that's what we're trying to recreate just on the layman's level that sounds very dangerous like that you'd accidentally okay. create no, uh, okay uh, well uh i think that, i think the conspiracy theorists are not are not entirely wrong to be concerned about what physics can do because mm -hmm. we've seen what physics can do in the nuclear uh in the in the uh, the harnessing of nuclear energy and that has benefits, but of course is dangerous as well for humanity. But but that's about the misuse of technology. It's not about fundamental research. Okay. And um, uh, fundamentally, CERN is, is, there's nothing secret about CERN. That's the first thing. Anyone can go there and study it. You go take, there are visitor tours. I've taken visitor tours there myself, even though I've also worked there. Uh, and um, it's, uh, it's, it's complicated work, but it's not secret work. And we're just studying what the universe is made of. There's no danger to humanity from from the from the physics. 
itself. Um, I don't know what human beings... Human beings are very clever at making and misusing stuff, uh, but I right. don't know what's going to happen in the future. But but fundamentally, uh, this is this is not dangerous at all. And what's also lovely at CERN uh, is that it is very cooperative. So here's the problem: at the end of the Second World War, the world scientists uh, were all gathering in the United States because it was the only rich country that had not been bombed or had its economy destroyed. So if you wanted to study physics, you went to the United States, especially California, right? Um, so the countries of Europe were a bit worried because we're losing all our physicists. And so they, they cooperated together to build the CERN laboratory in Geneva. And now the United States is involved in CERN, uh, and so is Russia, and so is China, and so is Japan, and so is India. It really is... And the research is not about, it's not directly commercial at all. It's about the study of the world, which the whole of human, the whole of humanity has an interest in. So it is actually um, a rather lovely and good thing in the world. It's, it's, it's um, uh, whether it's useful or not, uh, it's very hard to say. Uh, directly, directly, probably not, frankly. But indirectly, it's changed all our lives, like the internet, for example. Right. Um, and the 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 electricity that's transmitting our signals comes from an earlier stage of the same physics, you know. Uh, so, so indirectly, there are probably huge uh, implications. Um, we haven't got warp drive yet, but that would be nice. Wouldn't it? <laughs> but um, uh, no, it's it's a good thing. There's, there's nothing directly to be worried about. In fact, it's a, in fact, it's a good that all these bright people are working uh, on on something very wholesome, uh, and uh, long may that long may that continue. Last question is: Incidentally, um, I'll just say one more thing. Sure. When I was at CERN in the late eighties, there was still something called the Soviet Union, and um, th they wanted to contribute to CERN, but they didn't have much cash. Uh, but they did have a lot of iron because they had a lot of tanks. So we got we got a whole we got all the all the iron from my experiment came from the Soviet Union. Um, <laughs> so everyone contributed whatever they were good at, you know. Yeah, good. Once the Higgs boson or the God particle was found, was it was there a little bit of a sense, you know, after the the joy died down of now what, or was it the beginning of now we can get rolling? So, wow. That's a really good question, and 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 there is a guilty truth about physics today is that we're not quite sure what to do next. Now that may change. You know, maybe some young person at a United States University or at Oxford or something may suddenly come up with the next step. But yeah. right now we are at a bit of an impasse. We we have um, we finished the last piece of a pic a picture of the cosmos. At a, at a small level but it's not a picture we like very much we want to find more and we're not quite sure where to go next uh, i wish i had the answer i don't have the answer and, and no one else does in the whole world today but we are but we are building new machines to see what the what the world will tell us about what to do next right now we're in part of physics we're a little bit stuck but in many other areas of physics, we're accelerating. So I mentioned the gravitational waves. I was so excited by this. I'm still excited by this. This is a big United States breakthrough. Uh, another one, you may have heard of the James Webb Space Telescope. 
which was launched on Christmas Day um, over a year ago. And it's working brilliantly. Um, by the way, the, the NASA administrator, the man who runs NASA, he was so he was so he was so grateful that this telescope had not blown up on the launch pad after 30 years of work, that he quoted Psalm 19, the heavens proclaim the glories of the Lord. I think the Canadians and European scientists were a bit shocked at this at the head of NASA citing scripture, <laughs> but he, you can see he was so he was almost beside himself with excitement that they actually managed to get the, the, the this. Ten billion dollar telescope into space without right. destroying it on, at launch. <laughs> so, so uh, that's the kind of risk you take in science, and it's it's not always easy. But James Webb Space Telescope is awesome. It's it's opening up the world in new ways, and so we've got wonderful new tools, um, new horizons. Spacecraft is still it's in the outer solar system, and so it's an exciting time with science. We've got more, more, we've got more instruments, more tools than ever before in the history of the human race. Uh, but we do need a few new, in the particle physics, my own field, we do need a few new ideas. That's true at the moment. So maybe, maybe some of your listeners will help. Yeah. I'll pass it on. They have a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't appreciate, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate your time this morning. I appreciate it very much being here, Ken. Very good questions. And I wish all of your listeners the most. I, uh, and as a priest, I'd say for all of you, the really important thing is your is your soul. Uh, more than anything else in the whole world, everything else rots away. Uh, all your material goods will rot away. Um, our civilization is not in a great state at the moment, I'm sorry to say. But uh, all these things pass. But the one thing forever, which in fact really drove, drove me in the end into the priesthood, was 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 the fact our soul is forever and it's the best investment you can make is to invest in the soul so pray and study and love and the rest will be will take care of itself counted among the outlaws he said come follow me people from all walks of life since have been becoming